Down in South Central LA, there's a phenomenon taking place. An event so unique that men gather in the street in large groups to take part in it. Pigeon rolling. We meet Keith London, a legend in the pigeon rolling community, and Choo Choo, an up-and-comer. Both men spend all of their free time breeding, raising, and training Birmingham roller pigeons to compete. In order to win the competition, the pigeons must do somersaults in the air and return home while staying in their kit. Throughout the film, we also learn there's more to pigeon rolling than just a competition. Something to strive for in life and hopefully prevents them from getting into other trouble. Hi, I'm Heather Grayson, writer, producer, and director who craves passion in filmmaking, and documentarians are just that. I write fiction, but I love to watch the truth. My name is B.C. Wayman. I'm an actor, a writer, an entertainer, all sorts of creative endeavors. But what I love most? Being a storyteller. It's why I love documentaries. They're extraordinary stories from everyday extraordinary people. This is Behind the Dock, and today we are behind the scenes with Pigeon Kinks. I came out, seen birds struggling, helped them out, and that's it. I'll give them a little crack on the shell here and there. Now there's some guy to say, I wouldn't do that, man. They gotta get out of here. They're too weak if they do that, but they, they give you all these rules they leave for life as far as pigeons, but people have the same problems. Babies born early, they put them in the incubators and all these stuff all hooked up to them, trying to say they should die because they weren't strong enough to live. No. You can help them out, and then might turn out to be some of your best birds one day. If I look and I see a bird hatching in the morning, and if I come back in the evening, he haven't got too much further than he was in the morning, something going wrong, and I help him out of it. I just put a little extra cracks going around so he can break out easier. All right, welcome everyone to Behind the Dock, a... Uh a podcast where we take a deep dive into documentary filmmaking and the people that make them, the people that star in them. And we watch a lot of documentaries, Heather and myself, and we see a lot of shows and movies that introduce us to worlds that are fascinating, worlds that exist that we are just so not aware of. But once you dive into it, once you learn about it, you become just fascinated, fascinated about that. And that's the beauty of documenting real life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're here to talk about the film Pigeon Kings, and we are joined today by the director, Milena Pastorich, as well as Keith London, the Kobe, I'm sorry, the Michael Jordan, as he is asked to be called today, <laughs> the Michael Jordan of pigeon raising, pigeon rolling, I should say. So we're very excited to have you guys on today, Milena and Keith. Welcome to the show. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing well. Me too. Great. Excellent. That's great to hear. So, Milena, let's start with you. How do you get introduced to this, right? I've gone 45 years of my life, never even realized that pigeons were more than things that poop on my car, and yet there's this world where we're training them and scoring them and this amazing scene that exists not only in southern Los Angeles where Pigeon Kings takes place, but across the world. How did you, Milena, how did you discover this whole world? I was actually, it was total just by chance. I was making a short film, a scripted narrative, and the girl in the film had pigeons. So I was location scouting pigeon coops in the LA area and showed up at this guy's backyard and he was flying pigeons that were doing backward somersaults in the air in unison. And I was like, what is going on here? This is insane. And then he just was, he's like so friendly and handed me a flyer to a, 
pigeon lawn show that was that day. A lawn show is sort of like a pigeon auction, and it was they have them throughout the pigeon season, and that was the first one of the season. And I, I just drove straight there, showed up, and there were hundreds of men wearing pigeon T-shirts and auctioning off pigeons, and they all had this very specific breed of pigeon called a Birmingham roller pigeon. That's how I stumbled upon and Keith was in that backyard. So Keith, you you see Milena there and you're talking to her and you're trying to figure it out. And then it turns out, Keith, that you are extremely well-known and well-loved in the pigeon rolling community. I will put Keith in the top five in the world. The top five in the world. In California, no, no, hey, no ifs, ands, and buts about it, number one. In the United States, from the people I've met, and then seen and heard about, no doubt about it, number one, or no lower than number two. So Keith, how did you get then introduced into this world? My uncle had pigeons, my uncle, rest in peace. When I was real young, like real young, like five, maybe six, he, he used to go in the backyard and it was this box he had, it had to be no more than five, a five foot square. So I said, why you got them birds in there? He said, these are my, my, he said tumbler, my tumbler pigeons. I said tumbler pigeons. And I was like, yeah. And he let one of them out. It was over. I seen that bird turn. I was like, what? I was so amazed. I just go back there every day. We go over there and stare at them. But I didn't get my own until I was about 10. It was there that you fell in love with this, with this really cool and wonderful hobby. I liked that you brought in after you were going through some problems of your own, you decided that this is going to be where I turn now. And I really liked that whole turning point. What is it that you wanted to not only bring to the film, but maybe bring to kids in, in you know, the neighborhood, I saw that you had some, you know, some kids come to the backyard and, you know, you gave one, you gave a pigeon to them. The whole purpose of trying to get kids and you trying to get kids away from, see, where I, where I live, gangs is like, it. I mean, that's where most kids go. If they don't get into anything else at an early age, the gang's going to get them before, again, once they get into that gang, gang life, it's kind of hard to get out. So you want to give them some kind of refuge and it teaches them how to be passionate, to get passionate about something that's their own. Everybody's not going to do the pigeons, but it teaches them a whole, it teaches them how to be responsible, they caring for another animal. It keeps them at home in the backyard. So if they're in the backyard, they can't be out in the street. And Milena, when you started to dig into this world, were you just, were you surprised to learn? I mean, I know you went to this auction, but then you began to, you know, incorporate and film this over the course of several years. Did it just, as it got bigger and more global, was it mind-blowing to you how many people were involved in what I guess essentially is pigeon rolling is a sport? Yeah, so basically when I first started, it was just seeing all these men in that backyard in South Central. And then the more I found out about it, then I started to realize that there's even a World Cup for this, where there's guys all over the world who compete with their birds. And I got really greedy. This is my first documentary. I was like, oh my God, we gotta make this, you know, we gotta do worldwide documentary. I'm following somebody in South Africa. I'm gonna follow somebody in Holland. I'm gonna follow somebody in South Central. But that's a whole nother story. And I just realized that I really wanted to have a little portrait of South Central within the film. 
Basically, these are rollers. These are Birmingham rollers that were brought to the United States by William Penson. Penson brought the original rollers from Birmingham, England. That's the name Birmingham Rollers. Roller pitches are bred to perform. The average Birmingham roller can do four to five revolutions in a split second. We just try to get them to perform together. Some like synchronized swimming. So, Keith, you've been doing this a long time. You even mentioned that, you know, you started really getting your own pigeons when you were 10 and getting into it a little bit when you're older. When did you first learn that this is outside of your community and it's a global thing and it's on the, you know, there's this World Cup? And how did you decide to say, I'm going to get more competitive? What was that decision between a hobby to let me see if I can compete? And then eventually, I mean, it was great things. You turned out to be one of the best at it. How was that process like? How old were you? How mind-blowing were you when you realized in Holland and South Africa and in England, people are rolling pigeons? Well, you know what? I knew that as a, as a young age because I, I, I've always read so I used to go to the library and get books on pigeons, and I used to read that people live in different places with, with pigeons. The competition part came in, I can tell you when it was, 1988, I met my late friend, late Von Hall. I met him, and that's when I opened, the world of competition opened up. And he told me I should get in it. And then, you know, and from there I got in it, and I just never looked back. And I just wanted to be better and better and better, and I kept working, and listening and working and reading and working. I can imagine it looks like a tremendous amount of work. Give our audience a quick, and I know there's a lot to it, but so I'd like a quick, just to help me to this explanation of the scoring. So we have a, there's a kit and the birds go up and they have to stay together and they have so many that have to tumble and there's a whole scoring system with score sheets, which was, blew my mind and then I got it after a while. Give us a quick, if you had to explain to it in two minutes, how it works between the kit and the scoring and how we compete, how people compete against each other. Okay. So you got the basics, 15 to 20 birds, okay? They have to fly together. You have a, a scoring time of 15 to 20 minutes. So that means that if you're flying 15, 20 birds, you got your number. Okay, now, they have to fly 15, 20 minutes. That means together. So if you fly 15 birds, you're not allowed any birds out. If you fly 16 to 20 birds, you allow one pigeon out. So one pigeon can be away from the kit. It can come down and nothing will happen. So, because a two-bird out rule, but only if you fly 16 to 20. Now, the scoring is like this. Five or more birds have to roll together. A minimum of 10 feet at the same time. So, basically, to score, you have to have a minimum of five pigeons rolling together. A lot of guys don't understand the word together. That means together. Not one starts, and then three go, and then the other goes, and then you have a five. They have to roll together. They got to roll at a certain amount of speed, wing positions, that's details. That's, you got to see that, but that's pretty much, it's not really that hard to look at it like that. And you just try to figure out, well, how do you know if this bird rolled 10 feet? I'm the first one to tell you, there's no way I can watch 15 birds roll and tell you how deep each one rolled and the quality and style is almost impossible. PM South Central, you score over 100 points, you're the man. Anything below 25, we ain't shit. Anything below that, that's considered a donut or a disqualification, a DQ, you're getting talked about. And we found out in the film that Chuchu said that it was, you know, seizures. And then when somebody questioned, well, that's that's bad, he said, well, it's genetic. It's more of a genetic response, this rolling. Why do birds roll? Why do they flip? Why do they flip? Yeah. They're having a seizure. Didn't I tell you that? I said something wrong with them. 
Zeke no, it's Zeke not something wrong with it him. It is something wrong with it, him because you're not supposed to have a seizure. That's not true. It, it's it's a, uh, it's a it's a gene thing. Yeah, it's, it's genetics. So this is really about lineage, and and the more you train them, this kind of goes on. Is that correct? Yes, it's, it's absolutely correct. All we're doing is cultivating a fault. That's all we're really doing. Because if it was up to nature, it wouldn't happen. The birds wouldn't be rolling. You can let your birds out, do what they want to do every day, just put feed in the backyard. Most of them will stop rolling. This bird right here, is, I call him Bill Clinton. This bird is my foundation cockbird. I call him Thug because he bullied everybody in the cage. And he's also the grandson to Bill Clinton. When you first started filming, you mentioned, I think it was one of your Kickstarter videos, where you wanted to kind of record this in the cinema verite, this observational cinema style versus what a lot of documentaries have today is what I call like the talking heads, right? To sit down, to hear their side and intercut stock footage or other older footage. And you went with a this observational, and we, we follow Keith, we follow Choo Choo and a few of the other birdmen through their life, particularly Keith's life from a lot of different avenues. Was that a conscious effort on your part? Was it after you just started? Started filming, realizing that I'd want to focus on Keith. He's a really great person and a, and a character that's interesting to follow. Or was it because you started filming, it just turned out that way? Everything I'd done before this documentary was scripted and narrative, which I feel like is much closer to a verite doc. So that was just something that came much more naturally to have actual scenes and characters going through changes in their life was something that I would want to watch more. And then in terms of following Keith, that was really something that developed organically. I followed many more people than just Chu and Keith. I started because I worked on it for so long, for nine years. I was following some other people at the beginning. And then I was, and it's sort of a balance between, first of all, who you have a good rapport with and who trusts you and who actually lets you into their lives. And then also whose life has a story to tell. So it was a sort of combination of those two things. And then also when Chu, Chu and Keith, when Chu started approaching Keith for advice and Keith sort of started mentoring him. Say he breed you two sons. Mm-hmm. One in the air is like phenomenal. The best bird you ever seen. Even better than his daddy. And you got the other one, it's just marginal. But the one that's okay, got all the physical attributes you want to see, everything. And you breed them. Guess which one more probably gonna outproduce the other one? The marginal one probably gonna outproduce yeah. the one that was the best one. Probably because. Why? Because cocks carry more than one gene. Mm-hmm. Cause you gotta understand. So how how do you make how do you make your, your family go in that direction? Because like it takes time. It's it's one step at a time. You can't just boom and next day, next year, you like right there. Nah, it's a gradual process. Science, 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 science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? 
Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. So, Melina, you have, I would imagine... Gosh, so much footage of pigeons flying in the air. That process of editing the footage, which seems to be kind of the bane of a lot of documentarians' existence, is now I've recorded a ton, years and years and years. How do I make this into a, a movie? Yes, the edit is so difficult. I could have gone on shooting forever and ever and ever and just like a cute, still be shooting and never edit it together because shooting is so fun. And so it was really about sitting down with my editor and watching all the footage and we started making assemblies of all the scenes. And then after we did that, we sat down and tried to map out the story. The whole time I was shooting, it was very clear to me that Keith was going to be part of the story. The question was who else was going to be part. And the reason I knew Keith was going to be part of it is because the parallels between Keith and his birds and his family, him really letting me into his personal life and seeing him with his kids and raising his kids and with his ex-wife, like all of that to me sort of became the heart of the story. I really enjoyed the way you transitioned into some of the scenes. So for instance, Keith was talking about what he used to do being a street pharmacist. And and he spoke about that. And then, you know, he spoke about what he sold. I was a street pharmacist for a while. Doing stuff they go. Ah, you know, hey. And then all of a sudden, in the next in the next scene is him making these pigeon vitamins, you know, with with you know the credit card and all in the white powder. I just thought that was that was pretty brilliant. I I very much enjoyed that as a filmmaker myself. I, I was like, oh wow, that's a great transition. That was amazing. <laughs> so thank you for that. But and there was also some scenes just you know Choo Choo doing the little baby's hair and you know just family sitting down and talking at the kitchen table. You know, real life and the guy coming in and trying to sell movies and CDs. Why did you want to keep those particular scenes in the movie? That's what I fought for the whole time, were those scenes. The little personal moments. I mean, I'm all about character and people, and I'm all about the small little moments. I love that scene with the choo-choo cutting the little kid's hair and him crying. I mean, that's like one of my favorite moments. And when I was filming Keith doing the fertility pills, I thought to myself as I was filming, like, oh my God, this has to go in the film. There's so many parallels. And also it's just a testament. Keith is so creative. I f he's, he's like an artist and his, his birds are his palette. My commercial right now, if you're having problems with any birds going light, with no appetite, getting sick, disease, salmonella, paramyxo, miracle plus. The plus stands for also does fertility. If a cock bird is not hitting or a female not laying hard eggs, bow, right here. Miracle plus tabs. 
Guess where you get them from? Keith London. Keith, what's it like on your side? I know you're, I mean, you were already kind of well-known, I guess, in the smaller, more niche community of pigeon rolling, but now you're opening yourself up and she ends up following you for years. And we learn, we learn a lot about you and you really pull back and reveal some vulnerable aspects. We see you raising your kids. We see you go through a divorce. We say you hunt for jobs. I mean, it's a really compelling tale. What was that like? Did you, were you hesitant to agree to all this? Did you get excited? Were you ever sick of her and be like, can you please turn the camera off. What was it like to have someone document your life for so many years? At first, I was apprehensive. I was like, I don't need, don't, people don't need to know all that. You don't need to know all that. And she was like, come on, it'll be good. It'll be good. I'm telling you. Trust me, I'm telling you, it'll be good. I said, man, I was at a real turning point in my life, a serious one. Like, do I go back out there? I was kind of getting frustrated. But when I get back to the pigeons, it was like, I'm cool. I can start over again. A new day. I don't mind being a big basketball coach for somebody, or I want to do something in the creative writing field. Creative, I, want, I, I, I got to be creative. I got to be doing something. Or I can be a pro- professional pigeon flyer. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I used to think that way when I was a kid. <laughs> I actually am a professional pigeon raiser. This is the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. It's September 21st, 2006. This is the home of Keith London. It's a hawk trap in his backyard. Currently, the trap is sprung, and it appears to have a hawk in the upper part of it. And it's really flapping around. I wonder if he just caught it, just like within the last hour or two. Crap, where is it? Come on. Shit, he just beamed it, I think. You can see there's the pellet gun he's got in his hand. He shot it, didn't he? Yeah, he shot it. I didn't see him, though, because I can... He's pumping it right he's now. He's pumping I can see him pumping it. Right there. There he goes. Yep, he shot it. I felt terrible when we saw kind of the villain of the of the film, and that's that's the Falcons and the Hawks. And I, I, you know, I was like, man, you know, I, I love seeing them, but I was, I was really quite mad at them in, in, during this film. So is there, is there any resolution that you guys have for Hawks and Falcons? You know what's crazy about the whole thing is, about that is, at that time, they were on this list called the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. Now they've been removed, but well, they're not protected by the federal government. They're still protected under law, but not the federal government. Even if they come chase your birds, you try to scare them off, that was a violation. You're supposed to let them eat your birds. When I was going to court, that was one of my biggest arguments. I said, so you think it's fair that I can raise these birds all year, liberate them, but you guys say by law, I have to do at least once a week. By law, we have, we have, if you need the laws, we have to liberate our birds at least once a week. And then the falcon come and can eat them. But that don't apply to no other pet. If a mountain lion came and ate your dog, what are they going to do? They're going to kill a mountain lion or they're going to they do something where they can remove it. But a falcon can have, have free, free range to eat anything they want to eat. Falcons, red tails, all of them, they all birds of prey. But she wasn't even a judge. She was a magistrate. She said, he does have a point. But, sir, they are protected. Uh-oh. Houston, we have a problem. Oh, they just split up right yeah, now. Uh, Something's got them spooked up there. Oh, yeah, something up here. 
Yeah, there you go right there. Falcon. Keith told me that this had happened, that a guy from the Department of Fish and Wildlife infiltrated the bird scene for like a year and a half. He pretended to be a pigeon enthusiast and became friends with all of them and then filmed filmed a bunch of stuff, which this is this is part of the footage of what he filmed. I can't believe they went to through such great lengths just to do that. And I knew it was a political and financial thing. That's terrible. It really is terrible. And then I showed up. This is, uh, what year was it again? 2007, right? Yeah. So I showed up in 2011, we met. So not too long after. And so a lot of the bird guys thought I was an undercover agent. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, really throughout the whole filming. So it's like people at the at the premiere, we had a premiere. I was like, oh, finally, they like realize I actually am a filmmaker. <laughs> she told me she was making a documentary. She was, I said, so where's your camera? <laughs> 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 he had camera dude. Guy had, had button cameras and cameras on his hat. Wow. That seems very intense for hawks and falcons and pigeons. And Melena, you had to work through and you helped fund this film through Kickstarter, as well as I know you worked with a lot of different other organizations that kind of helped that process. We talk a lot about on this show we, to help young filmmakers out, especially documentarians, how to get started. Can you talk a little bit about the fundraising you did for this film? And then I know you made a lot of connections, whether it was the International Documentary Association, Film Independent, and a bunch of other groups to help support it. What was that like? Do you have any suggestions or things you've learned, things you failed on in then improved upon advice about the kickstarter i mean the kickstarter really is is a full-time thing for like a month that you do it and you're just you're more or less hitting up every single person you've ever met for money so (laughs) that's the thing that's the thing you're like wait this is horrible i'm just asking like my friends and family for money i think the key there is really making a video that because you are going to be just asking people you know for money, you really need to like prove yourself and show that the film is going to be something worth putting money into. So the rest of the budget we got through grants, which came later. And my advice there is wait as long as possible to apply for grants if you're able to, just because the more, as I said before, the more material you have, the closer it is to your vision, I think the more likely they'll be to give you funds. And so I think it's good to wait. I, of course, uh, applied to lots of them right away before I even knew like anything. (laughs) This is the big secret. The secret to this whole thing is selection. That's the real key. You have to select which family to work with. You have to select which birds to pair together. Select which birds are gonna come in from the kit, which ones you're gonna take out the kit. Selection, everything is selection. There was a scene that I was trying to get in the dock, which is so fascinating that 
basically, even when the birds, Keith explained that when a hawk or falcon comes and chases them away, sometimes they can't find home anymore. The same happens with a gust, like a huge gust of wind, and they get too far away from home. They can't find home anymore. And I shot Keith. He has some rollers that are half homing pigeons and half rollers. So they have a a better sense of where home is and can be further away from home and find home. And he, I have him like walking down the street with this Homer roller pigeon and throwing it up into the air. It's called to, a roamer. A roamer, a roamer, throwing it up in the air to retrieve his rollers that got lost. I think that's so incredible that they figured out those, those little things to, to keep the birds safe at home. Melina starts talking about the home and what it's like. I felt like that was a big part of it. It was about family. It was about home, whether it's South Central Los Angeles, whether it's your house or, or Choo Choo's house and these what you do with your homes and how they become your life, right? We talked about it a lot. Keith, what do you hope for the future of pigeon rolling? Do you hope or what do you hope this film does as it gets more wide release and people learn about it? What do you think and want people to take away from watching Pigeon Kings? I want people to see that what we go through just to have do a simple hobby, just raising pigeons, just something just so simple. I want people to understand that pigeons are fascinating. They really are. And realize what we go through on a daily basis and that after we go through that, we still have life to deal with. Once you get around the birds, you're a different person. Like, you're not angry anymore. But when I'm at home, I'm just angry. But once I get around the birds, mmm. And guess where my refuge was? Pigeons. For as long as I have the pigeons, I'm all right. I think that's a beautiful sentiment, absolutely. What I took away from it was just that. I'm very much less scared of pigeons. <laughs> also, to end that, I the music in it was fabulous, by the way. You know, I just wanted to slip that in. I loved the ending credits. I loved watching as your competition goes on. You have that kind of like, you know, rolling sort of manic music. And I just, I really appreciated that. And thank you guys both so much for talking to us today. And Pigeon Kings is definitely something that I'm going to be watching a lot more. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. We chosen the pigeons over girlfriends and wives. Yeah, I mean, I've dated people and I let them know this is the deal. The birds were here before you and the birds will be here after you're gone. I go, hey, whatever happened to that bird? He goes, it's in the freezer up in the front. I go, oh, boy. Well, you know what? He's passed away like probably six or seven years ago. And I want to mount him. I don't know, probably put him right here on the shelf by Grandma, you know. If today's hopes should vanish, like footprints in the shifting sand, I hope you get some inspiration from the story of the Roland man. A true lust for life was what he had. You could tell from the glow in his eyes. A pigeon fanatic, indeed he was. And this not a soul denies. Infinite patience to see his plans unfold and unswerving faith that wouldn't break. He could tell you the history of every bird from hatching time till now, each strength, each fault, from beak to tail, just when the roll came in and how. He had never found a bird he could truly say was ideal 
To some were close, most were not, but his love for each was real. Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Dock. If you liked us, because we all know you did, leave us a review in your Apple Podcast app. Behind the Dock is produced by Evergreen Podcast in association with Gravitas Ventures. Special thanks to executive producers Nolan Gallagher and Michael Dialoya. Produced by Sarah Wilgroup and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. And you'll find us everywhere and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.